We are the lab doctors. I'm Amanda. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Zhao Yong. We are biomedical researchers who realize we still have a lot to learn about science. So why not join us on this quest? Everyone, welcome back to the Lab Doctors podcast. So this week we'll be talking about egg freezing. Oh, oh. here we go. <laughs> so why I chose this is because yes, it appeared in the news recently, like a month ago, I think, or slightly mm. more than a month ago. And Singapore's going to allow it, but it's only from twenty twenty three. What what year twenty twenty two? What year are we in? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> And it's only for women aged 21 to 35 to freeze your eggs. But you can only use your frozen eggs after you're legally married. So it works in Singapore. As in Singapore is quite like conservative. So they only allow heterosexual marriages and then you can only use your eggs after that. And they only allow like up to age 35 because scientific research supports that fertility declines with age. Although like people still argue that you should be able to freeze it up to 37. And it's also good for Singapore because it might promote the birth rate, which is very low in Singapore. I think like less than two now. Is it? I know it's less than two, but is it like what, 1.2 or something? 1.4. If I, I read, I came across it yesterday. Sorry, I hate it when people do the decimals when we're referring like, to like, yeah, but I mean, I, I get it. <sighs> anyway, so today I'll go through the egg freezing process because I was just curious about how it works. And so to inform like people who want to be finding out about it, but don't want to read about it. Can I guess? Can I guess what Oh, happened? sure. So you take out the eggs then you just dip it in liquid nitrogen. Oh, sorry, DMSO with FBS and then liquid <laughs> <laughs> Okay, close call. Okay. <laughs> okay, Zhao Yong is describing how we cryopreserve cells in the lab. So yes. just for listeners out there. <laughs> oh my gosh, stop making such niche references. <laughs> okay, we'll cover on the cryopreserver, whatever you call it, later. So, the egg freezing process, y'all only covered like the last part of it. Yes. So, there's a lot more that goes into it at the start. So, this process should take about 10 to 14 days. And it's quite similar to IVF, which I think is quite interesting because there's a lot of signs in it. Okay, so first, why I want to talk about egg freezing also is because I realised that it's much more difficult compared to males. So, if you don't already know, sperm freezing is super easy. I mean, like, unless you have fertility issues. But if not, you just need to get a sample of your semen from ejaculation and then you just freeze it down. Yeah. It's, like, so easy. But for women, right, because we only release one egg at a time. Most of the time. <laughs> yes. So, when you want to freeze eggs, right, you want to freeze more. Yeah. Because some might die during your freezing and... You might want to choose like a few embryos for fertilization in the end and then you want to choose the best embryo to be implanted into your womb. So of course, the whole process starts off with consultation and TNCs and admin procedures. Basically, once you decide to go ahead, you'll have to inform the clinic when it's your first day of your period. Okay. And you can like actually reference this whole episode to the menstrual cycle episode that we had because we talked about a lot of hormones there which are relevant in today's discussion. Okay, so on the day of your first day of your period, you have to go to the clinic and then your doctor will perform this ultrasound and hormone blood test. And this will basically check your ovarian follicles and help them decide then what kind of medication and dosages they should give you to get you to produce more eggs. Oh. And then maybe like either on that day or maybe a day later, they should let you know what is the result and your treatment plan and then usually somebody will teach you how to administer the medication which is by an injection. Mm. So like I watched someone do like an IVF injection. They pinch. Did you see it before? Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like, TV show. Yeah. Like, is it the same? They, so they pinch like your fat yeah, from yeah, your yeah, yeah. army 
lower abdomen area yeah. and then you just inject it in. Okay, so then, yeah, they will let you know your medication and then you will start your own medications by the second or third day of your period. So basically, yeah, it needs to coincide with your menstrual cycle. Okay, so this whole hormonal injection thing takes about guess how many days 10 to 14 days right close so it's about 8 to 11 days and you do it like once or twice daily i think really depends on what you need so it can be quite that's why i think people say ivf is very stressful oh okay. it takes a toll on your body and also because you're side effects of injecting that. hormones yeah. into your body that is not usually there yeah like artificially increasing it yeah mm. Anyway, so the first medication that they usually give you is known as the follicle-stimulating hormone. Mm. And the brands are usually gonal F or folitism. Or they can give you a combination of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone known as menopur, P-U-R. So for a recap, if you don't want to go back to our episode, the follicle-stimulating hormone causes the ovaries to produce more follicles with each follicle containing an immature egg. So basically, you want to produce more follicles for more eggs. Yep. And then the luteinizing hormone works with the follicle-stimulating hormone to stimulate egg production and trigger ovulation. Fun fact, these can also be prescribed to men who face fertility issues. Right. Okay, next then, you need to a medication that prevents early ovulation. If not, like your eggs will be released into the fallopian tube or further downstream and you, your doctor basically cannot retrieve the eggs for storage. So the retrieval needs to be like from the ovaries. Yeah. Mm. So your eggs need to remain there. This medication is known as Scanny Relix Acetate or the brand name, if I'm not wrong, it's the brand name Cetrotype. So what is this compound? This is a gonadotropin-releasing hormone antagonist. That means it competitively competes. <laughs> Inhibits. Yes, the gonadotropin-releasing hormone receptor. So that means when it binds to the receptor, which will trigger downstream effects, then your originally endogenously produced gonadotropin hormone cannot bind to the receptor. Mm -hmm. And so when this antagonist binds to it, basically then the receptor will not be able to trigger the release of luteinizing hormone. So yeah, then you will not really ovulate. So this is administered once a day and usually given during the mid to late follicular phase, which is about starting day 7 or 8 to about day 12 or 13 of menstrual cycle. Okay. So about four to six days of this medication. Okay, and then along the way, you have to take more blood tests and scans because you need to consistently monitor your hormone levels and observe the ovarian responses. And then when all is well, finally, they will give you a trigger medication known as Lupron or the scientific compound is actually called Luprolite Acetate. This will be used to initiate the final maturation step before retrieval and freezing. And it's done exactly 36 hours before retrieval. So what this does is it tells your body, which is your pituitary gland, to stop producing the luteinizing hormone and stimulate the ovaries to produce estrogen. So it must be like super precise. If not, when you go to your doctor, then maybe like will come out of what they cannot collect. Alternatively, you can use humor chorionic gonadotrophin hormone to trigger maturation of follicles, but these are known to have higher chances of side effects like ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Okay, are you lost? No, it's just so troublesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. Why do people want children so much? Biological urge. 
Well, they don't want to have children. At that point in time. Yes. But they want at some point. But that's my point. Like They want the option. Is it worth? Anyway, but that's... That's for the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and finally, on the day of egg retrieval, right? You'll be sedated and the eggs will be retrieved from the follicles. And this sounds very invasive. So this will be retrieved from the follicles in your ovary by an ultrasound-guided needle that is passed through the vagina and the vagina wall. And then you'll like poke into your ovary and then it will like suck up the follicle sex and the mature eggs. And then you'll wake up. (laughs) You'll be done. (laughs) So I I don't know. It sounds like it's um, about like a month long deal. Half a month. Yeah, but it's so, I, I don't know, like what? So you need to take leave for like two weeks? No, I don't think so. Because it's just injection, what? Right? But like, can you imagine if like that day you're just very busy then you forgot to inject? Then like everything is like screwed up. Then yeah, you then you have to it. start again the yeah. next month. Yeah, I think so. You have to diligently oh remember. But it's like just 10 to 4. It's like when you take antibiotics, you just need to remember what? Yeah, but like if I forget like one dose, it's not the end of the world. I mean, please complete your antibiotic doses. But if you forget one, you can still like just lengthen the, the time, you know, just take it until it finishes either way. Yeah, but I don't know if it's so strict. Cause okay. Oh, I think it is. I think it's quite strict. Yeah. yeah. This is such a fine balance um, of oh your yeah, hormones yeah, yeah. and it has to be on certain days, you know, and then like day f- what, four to six and then like day eight to 11 and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's like a one-time deal because again, people to people are different. Yeah. So like these days and dates are just guidelines. Like what Dorothy mentioned, like you yeah. need to continue to go for scans and blood tests to figure out where you are at. Yeah. Which means you might not even get it done like the first time around. Yeah. You, you might require like and a few you months. Pay more money to do it a second exactly. round. Yeah, that's the problem with IVF. That's why people are like yeah. stressed. Okay, so after you wake up, right? <laughs> Basically, um, they might prescribe you an entire course of antibiotics like azithromycin to reduce your chance of infection and complications after egg retrieval. But usually complications are like less than 1%, so it should be fine. Okay, then now we come to the cryopreservation step. Mm, FBS, DMSO. <laughs> <laughs> so this term that is used, right, is not cryopreservation. It's called vitrification. But basically, it's the original word, right, like vitrification means the formation of glass. So in the case of egg freezing, right, this is a flash freezing method where your cells or your egg cells, right, they're still cells, human cells, are immersed into liquid nitrogen, cooling it so quickly that they become glass-like with inverted commas, glass-like. Okay, so there are three important components to vitrification for it to be done successfully because after going through like 14 days, you want to make sure your eggs are like actually kept and usable in future. So the eggs are exposed to high concentrations of cryoprotectants that cause rapid dehydration of the cells. So you are getting rid of the water in the cells. And what John mentioned, DMSO, is correct. It's one of the cryoprotectants. But there are also other kinds and they are used probably in combination. Also, what's DMSO? Explain what's DMSO. Dimethyl sulfoxide. Really? I don't know. Is it? What is sulfate oxide? <laughs> I know there's a sul something. Yeah, then there's an oxide. Right? Is it like one word? <laughs> Dimethyl is correct for sure. <laughs> Dimethyl sulfoxide. Oh, yeah. serious? Oops, I remember wow. wrong. It basically protects the cells from the whole process of like when you freeze. Yes. Yeah, because like when you freeze, like you said, it will form like crystals or like glass, right? Mm. So if it's too sharp, I guess it can like break the cells. Yeah. So you use DMSO as a protect, what's it called? Cryoprotect. Cryoprotect. Yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah. so basically Amanda was quite correct. But the part about it becoming glass is what you want it to be. Like glass, you know, it's like really flawless. I mean, I would picture it that way. It's like flawless. You don't see, you shouldn't see cracks inside. Yes. Right. 
But then if you don't do it properly and without these cryoprotectants, then what will happen is number one, if you form ice, right? So ice crystals, they will be sharp and they will shred your eggs. Mm. Also, if you don't get rid of the water in your egg cell, right, then they can turn into ice when they're frozen. And then they will expand in volume and they will burst your cell. So the other point to take note about vitrification is when your eggs are collected, right, they'll be stored in storage devices that will help you to cool your eggs extremely quickly. So these are usually straws and not your typical drinking straws, but like very thin, long tubes. I don't want material they're made of, but like, have you seen it before? Is it the same as the mouse sperm one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a very thin and long thing. So I think it really like increases the surface area for cooling. Right. Mm. And then it's in contact with liquid nitrogen and it'll cool very, very fast. And also, like what we talked about, it will be stored in liquid nitrogen that is minus 196 degrees Celsius. So the cooling rate will be very fast and all these will help to prevent your eggs from being destroyed when it's frozen. Okay, and simply when you want to use your eggs, what they do in the lab is that they warm it to room temperature. And then after that, they can put it in an incubator to reach 37 degrees Celsius, which is our body temperature. And this will allow the rehydration of your egg cell. Mm -hmm. So this can be easily done in 20 minutes and the eggs can be injected with a single sperm by three to four hours later. So Mm. it's actually quite fast. Mm. Wait, is that the end of Uh, the... Yeah, I'm done talking. I have thoughts. (laughs) Oh yes, let's hear your thoughts. I mean, I also read up on the cryopreservation of eggs because I think that is something that has been touted as like, oh yeah, it can extend your fertility. But I feel like the thing that people don't really talk about is that fertility is not just about the health of the egg or the health of the sperm. It's also about the health of the person that is going Oh to. yeah, true. Like if you're too old to carry that. Yeah, there are also risks involved. Can you just use a surrogate? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So then surrogates are the option then. Mm. But I think a lot of people don't know this. Like that it's not just about egg health. Yeah, true. And so, I mean, generally, I feel like only people who are more well-to-do would be able to afford this in the first place, so they'll most likely be able to afford surrogates. But like, I guess maybe young girls that think that this is an option for them, like, it is something to consider because expecting a child in the later parts of life has also its own risks. It's not just about the health of the baby. There's also the matter of, like, your own health. My cousin gave birth at 45 too. No, no, no. That's not to say that it's not possible. It's just that there is compounding risk. I think after 35 actually it's considered a high-risk pregnancy, which they definitely treat differently than other pregnancies. Right, right. I heard from this auntie who's like, I give birth at 38 and I almost get gestational diabetes and then now I need to eat brown rice. (laughs) Just to eat brown rice my whole life. That's actually like one of the more mild. Yeah. Like yeah, you yeah. could die during childbirth. Both the mom and the child. Oh. Yeah. Which, is it worth it? I guess, okay, the more that we talk about it, the more I'm like, in my head, like my brain is telling me like, why does it matter so much to me that my child or like if I want to have a child that it must be biologically mine. So, I don't know. Every time we talk about this, I'm more and more like okay with adopting if I really can't have my own child. But I don't know. I think it's a very personal decision. Altruistic person. <laughs> No, I, I don't, I think, don't so. think it's altruism. Eh? It's, it's actually a bit selfish of me also. It's because I don't want to die, you know, and I don't want to go through the risks and like I don't want to go through all of these things. I mean, okay, it is also like overpopulation and like there's so many kids out there that don't have a family, but it's also selfish. I, w- I wouldn't say like, oh, I'm doing it all for like the kids, you know, I'm also doing it because mm. of me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like when, when we first were reading this article, I guess circulating it, I was like, oh, it's so difficult. Why? 
right? And then, like the more I think about it, I'm like, why would I put my like personally, not like why other people do it, but like why would I put myself through it? I think if I cannot conceive, I'll put myself through IVF rather than freeze my eggs because I want it now. Like. <laughs> <laughs> By then, I would be like, yeah. Mm. Food for thought, I guess. But I think making it available in Singapore will make it easier for those who really have health conditions. Okay, no, but actually, they already allowed it yeah, for those with health conditions. Yeah, I think it's good in general. I think it's always good to give people more choices. So it's definitely not a bad thing, but definitely I feel like the restrictions should be a bit more liberal uh, because like, why must a person be married to have a child? Doesn't mean that I'm married means that the family is more stable. So true, I, I, true. I don't really like understand. Like legal, legally married, but you can be like cohabitation. Exactly. And like, like, not even that, like if you're not married, like some people are capable of having a child. Like it's not just about you and your partner if you have a strong support system. Yeah, as in like co-parenting is also something that I feel like mm. doesn't necessarily mean unstable instability. So mm. I don't know. Like if you tell me people who are married are always stable, I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's good. It's good to be informed and it's good to have options. Exactly. And Yes. Yeah. You're paying for it. So it's like if anything yeah. you should what, that's what? a that's a barrier to entry. <laughs> <laughs> huh? You're paying for the egg retrieval process. So it's like if anything it's a barrier to entry. <laughs> I guess having more options is better than not having <laughs> options at all. And as usual, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify. A like and a comment will really help us out. You can also follow us on our social media, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and feel free to DM us any questions. Alternatively, you can email us at thelabdoctors at gmail.com. We'll post all the links to the articles in the episode description. Thank you. Bye. But you know, like one of the things I was thinking is like, I thought they already have this like amniotic sac that is outside. So you can actually gestate. There was this sheep that was yeah. gestated outside. What's it called? Sally the sheep? No, it's not Dolly. Dolly is not still IVF. Dolly's friend. <laughs> oh, it's Dolly's friend? <laughs> I don't know if it's Dolly's friend. We can talk about that on another episode. <laughs>